the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's here. We're finally diving into the book of Revelation. We've talked about it for some time now, and here we are. Uh, somebody mentioned to me this morning that their life group have been covering this for some time, and they're going to see if their notes matched mine. And I said, we'll see. Your notes are probably better than mine, but we're in it together, and I'm excited about venturing into this journey with you. Just a note about our time together this morning. I want you to think about this message as an introduction to the introduction, Okay? That, that's my goal for this morning, an introduction to the introduction. So we're not going to spend all of our time or maybe as much time as you'd like in a lot of contextual or background information, although that's super important and we will get there, I assure you. But here's the, here's the, here's the deal. Revelation in so many ways has been taken from the church by those who have tried to mine it for every single detail, and my hope today is that we would be able to lift our eyes and gaze towards the one, Jesus Christ, who this letter is revealing to us. That's the hope of our time together this morning. So we all come to the scriptures with baggage. We all come to the book of Revelation with baggage. You may say, Chris, I've never read the book of Revelation in my life. I still think that you come to the book of Revelation with baggage. And baggage doesn't have to be bad. It just is, it just is what it is. It needs to be acknowledged, particularly when it comes to this book. Because here's the deal. Maybe you love studying this book. And if you do, I praise the Lord for you. I really do. Maybe you love studying this book, and maybe, I'm just going to speak to you for just a moment, maybe you've had your millennial perspective figured out longer than I've been alive. And I say, bless you. If you don't know the millennial perspective that I just talked about, it's all good. We'll get there too, okay? But if that's you, that's great. That's baggage. Others of you, 
are firmly convinced as you come into a study on Revelation that you want nothing to do with that kind of understanding of the book of Revelation, I would say that is also baggage. Some of you may enjoy all the images and numbers and want to squeeze out from it every possible meaning. And some of us may be tempted to treat this as nothing more than a letter that you get in the mail during Christmas time from a family member who wrote about their previous year. If that's you, acknowledge it. We come to the scriptures with baggage. Whatever your baggage, I want us to be careful that we don't miss the Christ that's unveiled here before us in these pages. We must be careful that Jesus the Christ isn't left as an underwhelming figure in the Bible that he preserved for us. We must be careful that he is the main and central figure of the book in which he has delivered for us. Friends, we aren't diving into this book for the next 14 weeks because there's something in particular that we saw in the news that precipitated this book at this time. There's nothing in particular in the culture that makes us more nervous than we were a a few months ago. Plenty to be thinking about, plenty to be prayerful about, but nothing new as within the past few months. I say that because there may be the question, uh, why did we pick Revelation right now? What what, what What are you trying to say to us, Chris? Nothing new. The church has needed the book of Revelation for 2,000 years. And it's going to be good for us now. There is also a reality of the time and place that we live in. Because we do live in a blessed time and place. The majority of us in this room never go without meals. Never go without shelter. The majority of us never go without heat. Until you're like me and you forget that there's a propane tank out back. And you have to get that filled, or we won't have heat. That was just stupidity on my part. That's the only reason that we've been without heat for a moment. Most of us live in a blessed day and time, and it is good for us to acknowledge it. Most of us are going to spend more time considering the options that we have for food than we do going without it. Unlike the churches that this was originally written to, our president, whatever you may think about him, does not make us refer to him as Lord and God, as the leaders, the Caesars did at the time of this writing. Christians aren't being physically punished or persecuted here for their faith, at least not in any public sense. We have the ability to gather in beautiful places of worship like this. We get to expose God's word as he's delivered it to us. We live in a blessed time and place, do we not? It's good for us to acknowledge that. It's really easy for us to look at everything that's going on in our world and in this time and space and say, man, nothing is going right. And yet, God in his kindness has given us so many blessings and freedoms. What gifts? What can happen in times like this, though, 
is that we lose a wartime mentality as Christians. We forget that there is an epic cosmic battle going on right before our eyes that we can't possibly see, that there's a bigger battle going on than the football game that will happen next Sunday. There's a cosmic war that's been at play, and it's happening right now. And this book, Revelation, shows us how things really are, that God has been and is now at work in a realm that we can't see with our human eyes. So we're going to get, like I mentioned, to more of the contextual information next week, but I don't want you to miss this one central theme. God has revealed himself to us through his word so that, so that those who know him are blessed and move to worship him regardless of their circumstances. That's the gist of our time together this morning. I'll say it one more time. You see it on the screen there. God has revealed himself to us through his word so that those who know him are blessed and move to worship him regardless of their circumstances. Now, I hope you were able to get a scripture journal on your way in. If you didn't, you can pick one of those up on your way out. Um, those are free. Thanks to many of your generosity and your gifts to the church, we have those available. Um, so I, I want us to see two realities for anyone that engages with this book of Revelation. And the first is that you will be blessed. If you engage with the book of Revelation, the scripture tells us that you will be blessed. Look there at the beginning of verse one with me. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the word revelation here is the Greek word apocalypsis. What word do you think apocalypsis we, we get from apocalypsis? Apocalypse. Apocalypse carries with it these notions of end of the world, or you might think of a post-apocalyptic post literature, but apocalypse simply means to unveil, uncover, to open something up. It's a breaking through of something that you otherwise could not see. So when we think of Revelation, think as though John the author is uncovering for us something that was previously hidden. That's the book of Revelation. Now, while this letter is an apocalypse, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, the literature itself is in a genre within the Bible that is called apocalyptic literature, okay? The, the revealing or the apocalypse is found in Revelation, which is a part of apocalyptic literature. So besides this book of Revelation, it's also found, apocalyptic literature, in the books like Daniel and Ezekiel in the Old Testament. It's found in the Olivet Discourse in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And apocalyptic literature has often these characteristics. One is that there's often this talk of heavenly visions. We'll certainly see that here in the book of Revelation. There's angels and demons. You're going to come face to face with some really bizarre creatures in this book. 
There's a lot of symbolic imagery and numbers. There's an abundant use of metaphor. We'll see cataclysmic, world-shaping and changing events. And then there are scenes of judgment and destruction. We'll see this in the book of Revelation. This is characteristic of any and all apocalyptic literature. So we're going to read lots of wild things in this book. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. If you haven't already journeyed through this book, you're going to be like, man, I thought the Old Testament was weird. This is going to be strange. But one thing that John makes immediately clear for us as he begins this letter is that even with all of its imagery, even with all of that, that he isn't making any of it up. We're going to see a lot of metaphor, but none of it is made up. It's all true. He writes there in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, look there if you're in the text with me, which God did what? Gave him to show his servants the things that soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So there in these initial verses, we see a chain of command here. The book comes from who? God, the Father, who gave it to who? Jesus, who gave it to who? His angel, who gave it to who? I saw a lot of laughy faces. You're like, I, I miss one. It's okay. There's, there's a chain of command here, a heavenly chain of command. The Father gives it to his Son, who gives it to his angel, who gives it to who gives it to us, the churches. We'll see in particular next week uh, that he's given it to these seven churches. We'll also talk more about who this John is, the author and apostle next week. But this letter is written by him. Verse 2, look there with me. John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, there's something in particular that I don't want us to miss in that word, saw. I want you to consider for a moment being given a heavenly vision, something that you're not used to seeing, something that is extraordinary, supernatural, and you've been given this heavenly vision and you've been charged personally. Tim, you're given a heavenly vision, now write it down as you saw it. Put into words for people that which you have seen, but those people that are going to read this vision have not had that same vision. You'd have to make comparisons with things that they have seen before in order for them to understand. So what John is trying to do as we approach this book is to paint pictures with these words that he's writing. And these words are not just supposed to be words that we read. They're supposed to affect us viscerally. We're supposed to interact with them emotionally, not just as letters on a page, but we're supposed to be provoked in our imaginations. Our senses are to be invoked, our emotions stirred. We'll see in our time together over the next 14 weeks that even John, and this is really good news, guys, even John, who's having this revelation, this vision, if you will, he stops and asks the angel at times what's happening. That's good news. 
Because sometimes you're going to read this and you're going to think, I don't know what is happening. John had to stop and ask the angel what was happening. So don't worry about not understanding everything you see or hear. This past week, um, Chris Duncan told me that I should give the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe uh, a try with the kids. My seven-year-old got really scared for some reason when she saw the cover of the book. So she bowed out immediately. My four-year-old, he laid there beside me, and I started reading chapter one. We read all of chapter one. I had no idea what he thought or anything, and then we went to bed. The next morning, uh, Dory, uh, my wife, was uh, fixing breakfast, and I said, hey, Cyrus. Uh, Dory was gone to collide the night before, before the kids went to bed, and so I said, hey, Cyrus, tell mom what we read last night in chapter one of Narnia. And man, he started telling her all of these things that we had read the night before, and he was using the language and the pictures that he already had in his current vocabulary. Now, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, is written in older English. I couldn't even understand everything that was said, and yet my four-year-old son was able to comprehend it and explain it in a way that made sense to him. So, now to verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Again, there's a promise of blessing for any and all those who would engage with this letter. So as this letter was first circulated to the seven churches it was written to, there would have been a reader at the church who was going to read this letter aloud to that church so that they might be able to do what? Hear it. There's a reader and there's also a hearer. John says that there's a blessing for both of those. Now, Don't suppose that as you've heard the first eight verses this morning, that there's some magical blessing for you. It's not as though that that as you stood and I read those first eight verses, that there is this inherent magical blessing that has been bestowed upon the congregation now that I've read it and you've heard it. The blessing is rather found in the message by the Holy Spirit changing how you think changing how you feel, changing the things that you say, changing the very things that you believe. That's where the blessing will be found. I read this. One commentator wrote, there's no blessing for those who hear it but choose to ignore it or reject it or rebel against it or simply treat it as fodder for their curiosity. The blessing is for those whose lives are impacted and shaped by what is in it. It changes their priorities. It builds up their courage. It impacts how they spend their money. It leads them to worship in spirit and truth. It sends them to their knees in prayer. So again, is there a blessing for those who hear it? Absolutely. But the blessing does not just come from receiving the word in our auditory canals. 
The blessing is receiving it by the Spirit and, and allowing the Spirit to do the work in us that only He can do. Friend, my hope is that in our time together in the book of Revelation is that Jesus Christ would change you from the inside out. And then there's that word prophecy there. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And I want you to hear this. Prophecy is more about thus saith the Lord than it is about what is happening in the future. Prophecy often gives us some ideas and hints and predictions about what is to come in the future, but the most important thing that we could know about prophecy is that it is from God. Prophecy is thus saith the Lord. As we walk through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, and if we do so as though it is perfectly sequential, meaning this event happens, then this event happens, then this event happens, and the next, and so on, we will miss out on all that John records. Our question as we read this book should be, or should not be, what happens next, but rather, what does John see next? Okay, I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through this book. The question is not what happens next in the sequential story, but rather, what does John see next? Revelation is actually less about when Jesus will return and more about what we are to do who we are to be, and what we can expect to endure as we wait for Jesus to return and establish his kingdom forever. That's the point of Revelation. Now, before we move on, John says that this blessing is for all those who keep what is written. Last night, we were at my in-law's There were a couple of things going on. I won't go into details, but all of a sudden, uh, my mother-in-law needed to get into her safety deposit box or whatever it is in their house, this firebox. And I don't think that she had ever opened the firebox before. My father-in-law had to leave the house quickly. He said, the key is in this place. You need a key. You also need a combination. She worked for the next, what seemed like hour, to try to get into this box the thing that she needed. It was so unuser friendly that she couldn't even get into the thing that she had access to. That's not the keeping that John is talking about here. Okay? That's, that's not it in, in any way. The word keep here is, to, is for something that we are going to be using in everyday life. We're to hear these words and we are to keep them. In fact, it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Anybody know what that is? What's it called? What? The Great Commission. That's the same word that's used there when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to... Observe, and that's the same word, keep there. All that I have commanded you. 
Now, when you read that in Matthew chapter 28 and you think keep, that's the most evangelistic, forward-thinking verse in perhaps the entire Bible. That's the verse that we say, hey, church, we're to be a people who are to go out and tell everyone about the good news of the gospel, making disciples along the way. Is that the kind of keeping that you do in a safety box? The keeping here that John is speaking about as we keep this word is a word that says you are to go with this. You are to guard it as though your life depends on it, but it is going to be essential for how you live your everyday life. The intention of scripture is always to enlist the whole person. Every bit of you, not just our intellects, but our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our strength, every bit of us. We aren't only after having our intellect stirred as we approach this book, our minds engaged, but our bodies and hearts also. And we're told to keep and observe this prophecy. Why? For the time is near. The time is at hand. It's not far off in the future, but it's here. It's right before us in the immediate. And this matters today. It's the same message that Jesus Christ, as he begins his public ministry in Mark chapter 1, where he begins to say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus has been speaking this message of the time being now for as long as his ministry has been. As we consider this book of Revelation, I want you to imagine a pot of stew. For those of you who have been around it, for those of you who've smelled it, you get that good smell. I've never made a pot of stew, so this, this applies even more to me. I've smelled a pot of stew, though. And after a long day of simmering in a pot, you begin to think, man, that is going to taste really good later. You begin to smell all those spices and the way that the meat has simmered, everything that has been happening all the while that pot has been stewing. And all of a sudden, there comes the moment where you take that lid off the pot of stew, apocalypse. You're never going to forget that. It's an unveiling. You smelled it all before. You considered the things that were in that pot of stew, but now that that lid has been removed, you can see it all together. That's what the Apostle John has done for us in giving us this letter. It's an unveiling. We thought we knew. We've been considering all along what God has been up to in his redemptive purposes since the beginning of creation, and we've been thinking about it. We've been listening to it. Maybe you've been smelling it. Your senses have been invoked, and now we have this book that is Revelation Apocalypse. Jesus Christ is being revealed for who he is. That's this book. The first reality in Revelation is that in hearing and keeping it, you will be what? Blessed. That's good news for the church. We'll be blessed. 
Second is that you will worship. You'll worship through this book. Verse four, look there with me. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, Revelation is not only apocalyptic literature, it's also a letter. And it doesn't just contain letters to seven churches, it's a letter that was intended to be circulated abroad. So, why does John write to those seven churches? Because there were definitely more churches than that in Asia at the time. So I'm going to give you a little hermeneutical help, a little Bible study help as we begin this book. When you see the number seven, what might we think? Any thoughts? Completion, perfection, wholeness. Okay? So take that. John writes to these seven churches because he's really addressing the whole church, the whole church. He's writing to these particular churches. We cannot miss that. He's going to write some particular instructions to each of these churches, and we'll get to that. But we can't also miss that he's writing to the whole church. He continues in verse four. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Now, I don't want us to run past this like it's a standard greeting, because John knows that if these hearers are going to keep or obey or guard the message that he has been given, then those people, us included, are absolutely going to need divine help, aren't we? If we're going to keep and obey and do, respond, and engage with the message that Jesus Christ has for us, we're going to absolutely need supernatural help. So we can't miss this. If you're going to receive the intended blessing, God has seen to it that each person of the Trinity is going to supply the necessary help for us. Check it out. Grace to you, he says there in the text, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. At this point in the text, who might that be? The Father, God, the Ancient of Days. Help is also going to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And when we see seven, we're supposed to think what? Perfect, complete, wholeness. So who is this person in the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. And help is going to come from who else? Jesus Christ, the Son, who John writes three things about there in the text. He's the faithful witness. Because it is Jesus who can tell us the very truths about ourselves, about this world, and about what is going on in the time that we're living in. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He's also the firstborn of the dead because Jesus Christ is the first human to rise from the dead and never die again, and he won't be the last. That's the message of Revelation. He's also the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
It may seem as though in this time that the rulers of our age of this time are calling all the shots, but the revelation of Jesus Christ tells us that that is simply not the case. God's in control. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, Nancy Guthrie wrote, at this point, we can almost picture John looking up from what he's writing, lifting up his hands toward heaven and saying the next verses. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When the people of God hear the things that Christ Jesus their Lord, our Lord, has accomplished on our behalf, we can't help but to worship, can we? For it is Jesus who loves you. God in Christ Jesus loves you with a love like you have never known. With a love that sent him from the glory that was his in the heavenly places towards this place to take on human flesh to dwell among us and lay down his life for us, it's Jesus then who freed us from our sins, a sin debt that we deserved to live in eternal punishment, taking on wrath for all of our days. And it is Jesus who, if we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of those sins by faith, that we could have freedom from those sins because Christ Jesus has freed us from them. And it is Jesus who made us kingdom. He seated us in the heavenly places. He's adopted us in as sons and daughters. He's given us a home. Brothers and sisters, this is the Christ in whom we ascribe all power and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the apostle John says, amen. We say it with our mouths, but do our lives attest to it? That's where the Spirit is provoking us as a people. We say that with our mouths. We can intellectually say amen, but do our lives attest to the fact that Jesus Christ is actually worthy of all power and glory and dominion forever and ever. I want us to consider this. Consider this personally. Is Christ the Lord of my life. I know in a cosmic sense that he is in control of all things, but am I as a person before the Lord giving him, surrendering all that I am for all of his purposes? I remember when I was in middle school, my dad started going to a Bible study with a group of guys he came home one day and he said, hey, we're studying the book of Revelation. That sounds cool. Each week he would come back and he would say, man, guess what we learned this week? We learned that, that um, the locusts in Revelation actually mean the Apache helicopters. And it was like that every single Sunday when he would come home. 
It was just something else meant something else. And he was like, man, my teacher's so cool. He knows all of this stuff. I got to go next week because my teacher is a genius. And I'm going to learn the next thing about the Bible code. Now, I love my dad to death, okay? That is nothing against my dad. It has everything to do with our study of Revelation. Because here's the deal. If we say that Jesus Christ is absolutely worthy of every bit of our lives, then we absolutely must give it all to him. Give it all to him. This book is about Jesus Christ. And it is about us laying down our lives that we might be transfixed with his beauty and glory and power and dominion over all things in this world. That is the point. I don't, I want to go on record saying that's the point. Do we hear that? That's, that's the point of this book. We're going to have some fun. We're going we're gonna to find out that there are some things in this book that mean some things that our metaphors. We're going to have fun looking at those things, but we cannot miss the fact that Jesus Christ has all dominion and authority over our lives. We say it with our mouths. Do our lives attest to it? I wonder if maybe some of us have lost interest in the God who has all dominion in this life. It's easy. There's a lot of things going on in this world. There's a lot of things that are vying for my attention, for your attention that says, man, there's pleasure over there. There's entertainment to be found over here. And all the while, there is the God of the universe saying, all power and dominion is ascribed to me. Everything you need is found in Christ Jesus and Christ alone. A couple more questions with that, because we say amen and amen. But is Christ over our dreams for our children? Is he Lord over those things? Is Christ Lord over the conversations that we're having with the folks that we work with? Is Christ Lord over our bank accounts? Is Christ Lord over our phones? Does my life point to the glory that Jesus Christ is worthy of? I think those are good questions for us to meditate upon and bring before the Lord in our prayers today and this coming week. Do I belong to the kingdom of Christ? If you're not sure, the Bible tells us that we can have confidence by calling on his name, that we can confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will indeed be saved. And this is of importance right now. Why? Because we read in verse seven with the help of images from Daniel 7 and Zechariah 12 that Jesus is soon coming on the clouds. That's why this matters in the here and now. There is going to be a visible coming of Christ and every eye is going to see him, even those, the text says, that pierced him, even those that sent him to the cross. Everyone is going to see Jesus Christ in all his power and glory and dominion. 
One day, everyone is going to see it. Today is the right day and best day for you to fall on your face and give him your life while there is still time. Because when he returns, it will not be the same way as before. For all the tribes of the earth, the text tells us, are going to wail on account of him in that day. This time, there's going to be a judgment for all those who have never trusted in Christ Jesus by faith for the forgiveness of sins. So then we hear from Jesus himself in verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. We've heard already that he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. We're going to hear it many more times throughout the book. Jesus Christ is the Almighty God, and we'll close with this. We need to know that Jesus Christ is almighty when we are wondering if God is aware of the suffering that is happening in the here and now. We need to know that he is almighty in our suffering. And sure, as I mentioned, as we opened earlier, we may not be publicly facing any type of persecution physically at the moment as a church here in America, But certainly the effects of sin are all around us. Our bodies are groaning for the new and redeemed creation. We're suffering. You may be suffering this morning, and you need to know that God is almighty in your suffering. Some of you may be familiar that in our community, In the Ola schools, Jackson city limits, not the city limits, but outside of the city in Jackson, a young girl was hit by a car as she was walking to her bus this week. She passed away. There's a woman who was responsible for that that is going to endure heartache for the rest of her days. I don't know her story. We should pray for her. The little girl and her family that passed away, I can't imagine their pain. Let's pray for them. The school, the members of the community that are affected, sin has ravaged everything that we know. And we need to know as a people that God is almighty in the midst of our suffering. We need to know that almighty God has even seemingly bad governments under his control. As we as a people walk into another election cycle, God Almighty is in control. And we need to know that and believe that and receive that as a people. The Almighty God, though false teaching may come and infiltrate the church, it won't happen For long, because God Almighty is on his throne and he won't let it go forever. Evil is under the Almighty God's control. He is over it all. He has power and dominion over all things, and we can rest in that this morning. 
the stars, the sun, it's all his. Your life is in his control. And the message of Revelation is this. You will be blessed by keeping it, receiving that good news. What a gift. Will you give it to him? Will you surrender your life, the life that is already his? God has revealed himself to you through his word so that if you know him, you are blessed and moved to worship him regardless of your circumstances. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you that you've given us a chance to consider your word. I pray by your spirit that you might do more in us than just considering. God, that's what we can do. We can think about these things. We can dwell and we can meditate on the words that we've just heard. But we trust and know by the power of your Holy Spirit that you can do a work in our hearts, in our lives that no man can do. God, I pray that we as a church would be ready as a people to hear this word. That we would be ready to keep it. As your word tells us that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word only, but that we might be doers, not fooling ourselves. God, I thank you that even in these first eight verses, it's clear to us that each person in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is helping us to keep this message. And in keeping it, we might be blessed. And in being blessed, we might give you all of our worship. God, I pray for the individual here this morning that has never fully surrendered all that they are to you, confessing their sin, confessing their failing shortcomings before you, a holy God, and have confessed their absolute need for a Savior who is Jesus Christ. I pray that they might do that now. So that when Jesus Christ comes in all of his glory in judgment, they might be preserved for all time and enjoy him together. Thank you that your church gets to do that. Help us to live in light of that today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.